This is a Federal News Network podcast. Not even many feds may be aware of the small, independent U.S. Chemical Safety Board. It has a critical mission, though, investigating industrial chemical accidents. The board has had a somewhat rocky time over the past few years. Critics say it's understaffed, but recently it got a crucial rule out the door. Joining me in studio for an update, the board's interim executive, Dr. Kristen Kulinowski. Dr. Kulinowski, good to have you in. Thanks for having me, Tom. First of all, tell us about the composition of the board itself. Right now you are awaiting members to join, correct? So the Congress imagined the CSB as a five-member board of appointees nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Currently, I am the only remaining member. Our last two members' terms ended very recently within the last couple of months. And are we waiting for nominees to be confirmed, or what's the status do we know of of the board. A chair has been nominated um, and gone through Senate confirmation, gone through the committee, the Senate committee, and is pending on the full Senate, waiting uh, a vote by the full Senate. So we're hopeful that uh, she could be confirmed any day. So at the moment, you're one of the loneliest board chairs in all of our acting chairs in all of Washington. It's true. The My side of the hallway is very dark and empty, a lot of empty offices. But um, I'm, I'm optimistic that the board will return to at least uh, Quorum strength, if not full strength, hopefully soon. And another interesting piece of news is that the board finalized a rule recently, just last month, and that rule had been actually ordered by Congress as part of the enabling legislation 20 years ago. And now you've got it done. Tell us what the rule is and the background here. So the Congress, in our authorizing legislation, required us to promulgate a chemical incident reporting rule that would require facilities that have releases that meet our jurisdictional standards to report to us those releases so that we could determine whether or not we wanted to initiate an investigation. Over the, you know, 20 years ago when we first were getting started, uh, we were able to get the information from the National Response Center, which is a Coast Guard clearinghouse for hazardous substance releases. And uh, as the internet and has grown, we, we now find ourselves getting information immediately from the news. And so we undertook a notice of advance notice of proposed rulemaking in 2009, but determined that agency resources were better spent on other um, priorities than promulgating a rule, which is costly and, and consumes a lot of resources. So that effort stalled. And then we were sued by a, a co- coalition of environmental and, and civil society organizations. And we went to court and we lost. And so therefore we promulgated a rule. And the rule is now final. The rule is final. It has not uh, entered its implementation phase yet. That happens in a couple of weeks. We're also giving the community some time to learn about the rule. And so we're going to be delaying enforcement of the rule for a year. And briefly, what does the rule require and who does it require it of? So it requires facilities that have a release of any hazardous substance subject to certain conditions, mainly consequence thresholds, number of deaths, number of injuries, property damage, to report either to the CSB directly or to the National Response Center with notification that it has been made to the NRC so that we will get the information now directly. Got it. It sounds like the procedure is similar to what would happen to a regulated facility under the EPA rules. So oftentimes when we deploy to an incident, there are multiple federal agencies investigating the same incident. We 
find ourselves at the same scenes with OSHA and EPA. They have distinct reporting requirements and distinct investigation objectives. So our role as an independent federal agency that does investigations is not um, duplicative of theirs. And so we needed our own rule. But there's a lot you could probably borrow procedurally that they had in place. We're a little bit more like the National Transportation Safety Board mm-hmm. than we are like the regulatory agencies sure. because we don't have a regulatory function. In fact, we were explicitly modeled after the NTSB. Um, we, we have some unique uh, differences in how we operate, but that's a better analogy. We're speaking with Dr. Kristen Kulinowski. She is the board's interim executive, that is the U.S. Chemical Safety Board. And just tell us about what the purview of the board is. What types of chemicals, what types of facilities do you go to investigate? So our jurisdiction is a release of a hazardous substance into the air from a fixed source, meaning not in transportation, because that's our brethren at the NTSB. And so when there is a major chemical release that has uh, killed people, injured people, or damaged property, we have the authority by the U.S. Congress to go in and conduct a root cause investigation to understand all the causes, facts, conditions, and circumstances that led to that disaster. We go far deeper than our other regulatory agencies in that we're not limited to only looking at violations of regulations. We can also look at systemic factors, management systems, um, and a number of other factors in, in addition to what widget broke and, and what people were doing in the in the immediate. Um, yes, so a facility could be in compliance with rules and regulations, but a valve could have broken or something like that. Sometimes it's mechanical failures. Um, they may be due to lack of good preventive maintenance, and there's a regulation that covers that. The unique aspect of the CSB is that we're able to identify gaps in regulation. So if if all the regulations were being followed, but the regulations weren't strong enough, we have the ability to make a recommendation to a regulatory agency in addition to the facility to make a change that we feel is needed to advance safety. All right. So the rule with reporting is not quite operational yet another year. Suppose you do find out about a spill. There's no board members or you're the only one right now. What happens? We can still deploy. So the ability of the CSB to deploy to incidents is not limited by the lack of a quorum. What may take a little bit longer is for us to release our final reports. So the way the board operates, our governance model, is that the final reports uh, constructed by our investigation staff uh, come to the board for final approval. The board votes to release that report. It contains or may contain recommendations for safety change, which we then track and vote to close. And all of that is a very formal process. So what we're doing right now internally is exploring our options for getting the important safety lessons out in the absence of a quorum. But the people who deploy to an actual accident scene are career professionals that understand chemicals and plants and process, not necessarily the board members themselves. That's correct. We have very dedicated safety professionals, uh, many of whom have spent decades in industry before coming to the board, and they're the boots on the ground that are actually performing the day-to-day work. Any recent cases that are illustrative? Well, we've had a busy year, Tom, a very busy year. Uh, We've deployed several times to the Houston area and to Texas, where there's a large petrochemical industry. Um, there was a major, yeah. There's been some big blowups. Big, big investigations. Uh, some loss of life. A lot of um, outside the fence line property damage to communities. The last one that I went to 
was the Watson Grinding uh, and Manufacturing Facility in Houston, which uh, was a major explosion that killed two people, and the devastation to the surrounding community was uh, catastrophic. There was garage doors buckled and houses shifted off their foundations as far as, you know, a quarter to a half a mile away. So that was a very impactful incident. And tell us about yourself. You are the acting executive here. What is your background? You, you're you're not new to this whole field of chemical investigation. That's right. I've been on the board now for four and a half years, and um, it's a five-year term. And I came from, I'm chemist by training, a PhD chemist, and I had experience working in occupational health and safety of emerging materials. And so when I was tapped for the the board position, I was very excited to apply my technical background to an important safety mission. Can you be reappointed if you like it? The I would have to go through a full nomination process. So I'd have to be nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. May not be worth putting your life on hold that much, huh? I haven't gotten the call, Tom. <laughs> sure. Dr. Kristen Kulinowski is interim executive of the U.S. Chemical Safety Board. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Tom, for having me. It's been a pleasure. We'll post this interview along with a link to the new final rule that will go into place at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Ask anyone with a DWI if it was worth it. They'll tell you. It's no holiday. Impaired driving kills the holiday spirit. Drive sober. Drive smart. Extra enforcement now on Minnesota roads. A message from the Minnesota Department of Public Safety.